I don't remember which episode number this is, but we're somewhere between 25 and 30. Maybe it's 26. Maybe it's 27. I don't know. I was... Here's what I want to talk about. This thing that happens is that get so I get really excited on Saturday to record the podcast here. Even on on the days leading up to it, I get very excited. And I notice the same thing happens every week where the day of the Sunday and I wake up and I have this feeling of kind of grogginess and um, I'm, you know, I become resistant to it, right? Um, and suddenly I want to procrastinate and it just feels like there's um, a block between between me and actually doing it. That whole space, I feel like I've been able to um, more or less deal with in, in the procrastination of actually doing it. I feel like I learned the how to get over that, how to work through it um, in the past however many years. Um, you can't really talk about what it means to procrastinate if you haven't looked at um, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. That is really what it what it is. So I feel like that's under control, but there's something else that um, that I want it's to talk about, and it's about the. When you're actually doing the thing, so you're actually writing or you're actually recording or, um, you know, on on a date, you know, sometimes if you if you are really excited about going on this date, but then you start getting worried about it, like right before the date, the day of the date, and suddenly it's not, it's harder to be excited. You kind of get um, anxious. And then when you're, and then how do you be yourself when you're actually on the date, right? Or how do you, when you're actually sitting down to write, how do you get into that zone where you get to kind of uh, be yourself and really, you know, um, let it go and kind of um, connect on that level to be present, right? think that's what it is to be present so there's a difference between procrastinating and actually like doing the thing and getting yourself in position where you're actually doing it and then when you're actually in the space between you have everything in front of you now how do you actually get the work done in a way that uh, is meaningful in a way that's that's good and that um is 
that's kind of my question, I guess. That's that's where I'm at right now. Um, I've noticed I've been you know doing a lot of these um, this video work and uh, drawing these these cartoons, and those are th- things that I feel like orbit the act of writing, which is fundamentally I think. Uh, what I care about the most and what I see as the, the most valuable. That's at the core of all of it is the, the act of writing, meaning, um, creating something from, um, from nothing in the most, uh, clear, um, uninhibited way possible the least amount of tools so um and having the space to refine it as well it's it's podcasting recording yourself talking it's unedited so it doesn't it just is what it is but if we don't respect it as much as a piece of writing that you've edited and made the decision that it is a certain way so what I'm trying to talk about, I'm, I, I went on a tangent there and now I've lost the, I lost the thread. Um, but essentially, um, fuck, that's fine. I'll, I'm sure I'll return to it as we go. But the point being the t- the territory that I'm, okay i remembered (laughs) um the what i'm trying to understand is like when i sit down to just write and make a plan to do a cartoon or make a plan to do something and write write things i notice my attention span uh divides so fast like it's so much harder to to focus immediately i want to go on the internet and do this i want to go get a snack all this kind of bullshit it's it's easier to when i'm if i have to draw a picture about a piece of writing or draw a picture in order to refine a piece of writing but to actually have the the idea and the clarity that the only writing can get you i feel like for me, drawing, um, recording video, recording voice, it's it's just easier than actually having to write something down. It's it's so much, it's just harder to do that, and it and what I mean by harder is that you procrastinate more, and your attention divides more, and suddenly you want to escape. When I'm drawing or editing video. Or recording, I can, I can, I don't find I'm as distracted as I am when I try to write. And it's for that reason, I think that writing always seems so much more intense and important. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a, a more hostile uh, antagonist, you know, it's, 
it's a it's the end boss of the game and i i I don't know what beats it and you can listen to a lot of writers who have written a lot of uh you know world-renowned books talk about this of how of its difficulty and how that never goes away there's something about it and so what I find myself asking lately is if I am working on cartoons and video, am I cheating myself? Am I avoiding the real work of writing? Or should I, should I treat those as distractions, let them go and only write? And obviously the answer is no, and I'm having way too much fun doing these videos. Um, and I'm going to keep doing them. And I think the mix of all these things is really, really fun for me. But that's, I'm trying to pose that question. I'm talking about procrastination. I'm talking about <laughs> not procrastination, but difficulty um, zoning in once you're actually doing the thing. And then I'm talking about... Um, which thing is the the most virtuous i think i was talking on the the phone to a, a friend and um he used the word virtuous when we when talking about writing he's a he's a filmmaker and uh you know he's talk he's writing a script that's going to be made into an actual movie and we were talking about just the writing and without the film part, it's, it seems there's something virtuous about that. And that's, you know, it's all hot air and it's all ego at the end of the day of thinking that you're up on your high horse because you wrote a novel. Um, but there's something to it. At least I can't really shake it. Um, and as much as the technology, that was a technology at a certain time was being able to write. Not everyone knew how to write. Those who could write, you know, it was, that was, it was a technology. The printing press was a technology. The microphone and recording was a technology. The computer, the video camera, all of this stuff. So how we decide the integrity of an older technology, there's, the idea that and the feeling that that's it's more virtuous to use the lesser technology it's more prestigious to shoot on film than it is to shoot on digital i get it and i under, that's a really prominent feeling i understand it's something cheap about using new technology that just doesn't feel as important but the argument that i i'm constantly in with myself is how to um, have both, I suppose. Because I like the cheapness of it. It's fun. It's easier sometimes. You can, there's just, there's a lot that it can offer. And it's just the truth of denying that it exists and using old tools for the sake of integrity and ego is just clearly dumb. But there's something 
um uh, you know virtuous about uh continuing tradition and working um with those old machines and and um sticking to all of that not just you know turning everything making everything feel so plastic i suppose and so disposable and those are those kind of two extremes of like you know making youtube videos that are to be watched disposed of and moved on to the next one very fast or making feature films on film stock you know where it's all very holy um and really i think what i intend is to do both to find a way to have them um to get to use both of the tools and and all of it it's not one or the other but it's but when you're not paying attention i suppose it becomes one or the other or when you're procrastinating and overthinking these things it becomes which one is better you're over intellectualizing and you should just be making work with whatever tools are in front of you when you do that more and more and this is i think where i've been the territory where i've been moving towards lately at a faster pace than normal is that um, the quality of your work is arguably not as good and then you and then you suck uh-oh that's very bad no one wants to suck but it takes a lot of does it not take more courage to suck? Um, I could go on. I truly could go on on this train of thought for probably the hour, and in a sense, I will. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go towards the posts now because it's been 15 minutes, and I'm really trying to. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying that hard, but. I want to keep this under an hour and I want it to be concise. So there was the intro um, and I'm stopping myself now before I go too far down the rabbit hole. So we've posed some questions. Now let's dig through everything that I wrote in the world of the posts this week. And let's see where it takes me. This is called a light switch. The mix of dolphin square pizza pops and origami regular pizza was mesmerizing. I know I said that I wouldn't write meaningless abstract shit anymore, but this is serious. Some guy farted into a light switch, and then when his girlfriend turned on the light, it smelled like complete ass. She was so pissed at him. She went into the freezer and threw all of his pizza pops out into the road. He was so depressed. He went into the road and fell to his knees. He cried and mourned the pizza pops. She tried not caring, but she couldn't help it. She went out into the street and she tried to calm him down. Eventually, she understood why he was so upset about those pizza pops. 
They were the ones that they got from Dolphin Square on their first date. He said he was saving them for a special occasion. She looked at them and the guilt overwhelmed her. She didn't know what the appropriate reaction was to someone farting in a light switch. Eventually, she saw that there was another pizza in the road. Someone had run over it, and it was folded into weird shapes. It was a strange coincidence, and she wanted to assign some meaning to it, but she couldn't. So, she just stared at it. That was a light switch written one week ago by me. I think that was a, a decent enough poem. I think that um, it feels like somewhat a development um, from what I've done before in that it's acknowledging my self-criticism but you but successfully using that towards um advancing the the story in it um i think this is that's that same idea about how do you combine something you take so seriously you're writing, as I was explaining in the intro, and then combine it with um, this these bullshit ideas about this guy who's like farting into a light switch and crying over pizza pops. The combination of those two things seems to um, never, I never really get bored of it. At the end of the day, that's what, um that's a lot of my point of view uh that's i think how i see the world or what the interest is the how do you um combine the shittiest possible thing with the most um i guess um virtuous or sacred thing it's the combination of the two Um, trying to, I guess, make um, make carve out space for those kinds of things to exist is um, satisfying to me. So let's try to hold on to that thought. Because what I want to do, my intention here, is to take these six posts that I've written this week and to try to do a more clear job of articulating the train of thought from the week. So, I, so in, the, in the intro portion, I laid out my where I'm at right now, what are my questions about um, about this work, about what I've been doing, 
Where are the insecurities? Where are the things that are going well, etc.? What's my point of view? Now, going back through the week and seeing um, maybe how I got there and then whatever conclusions I can kind of see, I can come up with. So um, I'm trying to, I'm, the experiment on, on this episode, what I want to do is to try to understand this, the natural s- structure of the podcast itself and seeing it in a beginning, middle, and end. And trying to pay more attention to how the how it looks as a whole instead of, you know, just um, I don't know what I was trying to do before. I think that's the thing is I I've done it enough times now and I haven't done it that many times um, below 30 times above 25 times that I'm starting to be like, okay the process of actually doing it is no longer um, as novel. That's not like the, you know, the exciting thing. The beginning was just like, I remember doing the, doing this the, for the first time. It's like, even the fact of putting on the headphones and speaking into a microphone was just like, that was already enough. That was like a, a lot to handle. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, then that's slowly developed and I felt like more and more I've been able to, um, uh, as, as that wore off, I was able to then calm down and be myself more and talk about things, uh, more honestly and from my own real perspective. And now that seems like doing pretty good with that. Um, I'm, I'm satisfied with, with that. Now, how do I structure the thing into a way that's more concise and, and maybe more deliberate? Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm trying to get to now. Anyway, a light switch, anything more to say about that? Not really. Um, I think we can just look at it as, you know, the bigger, um, the bigger concept and and I hope you enjoyed that poem a light switch um because honestly I don't I really don't know anyone who uh I can't imagine reading this from the outside you know and and that's a a dark um path to walk down and starting to imagine people reading your work and how they see what you're doing and all that kind of shit. Uh, I think it seems that concerning yourself with that only leads to, uh, doesn't lead to anything good. Um, but, uh, I can't imagine how that would feel to read this from a stranger, but I would probably, I, I think I would laugh. Of course I think I would laugh. A light switch. All right, let's go to the next post. It is called, It Seemed Trivial When I Reread It. I wrote some things here before, but then I deleted them. And now 
I will start again. I was writing about the snow, but it seemed trivial when I reread it. It felt like I was saying something important, but I second-guessed it and decided it wasn't true. I went down some rabbit holes today, watching the snow and worrying about what people think. It's easy to lose sight of things when you sit too long in your chair doing nothing. But if I do not sit long enough in my chair, I have no idea who I am. I will always want to sit and write things down. I would like to say that everything else can go fuck itself, and for the most part it can. But if you do not walk around and break it up a bit, you will fuck yourself. It is good when it is snowing out. It is good to walk in the snow for no reason. It is good to sit in a chair and write things down for no reason. Good. I was reading this book about acting um, this morning. And I, um, I was watching uh, Jeremy Strong, the actor from Succession, who plays Kendall. And he was on YouTube talking, you know, they do these segments like 12 things I can't live without. And honestly, I get served those and I don't usually click on them because I get kind of, it leaves me feeling a bit icky of like, just the whole concept of those videos. It's like, you know, the re- putting so much emphasis on uh, those like these items that, you know, whatever. It's just too much capitalism, I suppose. Uh, it just makes me feel like uh, wrong. I just don't. I'm like, if I watch this video, I'm going to want to buy something that I don't need. Uh, but I, was, I definitely clicked the Jeremy Strong one because I like uh, him a lot. And, and um, the show Succession, um, I am, I couldn't be more of a fan of. I'm so, so enamored with that show. And I'm so excited to watch the next season. And was so shocked to learn it's the last season. I thought they were doing five seasons. But it seems they've already, the ending already exists. And in... A mere, I don't know, three months from now, three and a half, something like that, it'll be done. We'll know the ending. So it goes. But good for them for keeping it to four seasons and calling it at the proper ending. That's so fucking cool. Uh, I really respect that a lot. And um, it's just great. Now I'm just excited to, um, what I'm most excited is, not to actually finish it, but to watch it again after I know the ending and to see how the how it feels as a whole um, knowing knowing what happens that's that's when the best the best movies are the ones you watch more than once, right You appreciate them once you've actually you know the ending, but it's still good that's that's the great movies out there, the great stories, the great books, whatever. The great poems you read many, many times. The poems 
on my podcast, I read once and I, and then I crumple them basically, I don't totally, but I, then I move on to the next one, move on to the next one. But so I, I, it's a, and, and that's how else to interact with the technology of the day. This is one of the big questions. So I, I should really, I really got to lay some breadcrumbs back so I can find my, so I can find my way back to, um, to where I started here. Cause I'm going down a, a huge rabbit hole. I need to get back to telling you about the acting book. I was reading this morning. That was that Jeremy strong recommended on his 12 things. I can't live without YouTube video. Um, and he said there was, the only act, the, the one acting book that he thinks is the best. And I was like, oh, I want to check that out. Because, um, because I, what I hate is acting, but I keep putting myself in front of a camera and having to read shit. And so I'm, whether I like it or not, whether I'm pretending, um, I am just being myself or am acting it's like you're acting there's a fucking camera on in front of you you're acting it doesn't matter who you think you are that's what that is so um you know something to reckon with and i was like oh i want to read that book so when i read these poems that i've written it's like it's i'm acting i'm performing you gotta you gotta figure that out so anyway maybe i'll return to that thought but now following the breadcrumbs back to succession, the ending, getting to watch things again, rereading um, my own poems, but making them so disposable because of the nature of the internet um, and how, um, how confusing it is to what is poetry's place? What is the place of poems? Um, uh, now and and in the future, and it's different. Um, I was speaking to my friend yesterday about it for uh, not long enough. The conversation had to end, and I and he he one of my uh, great friends of all time, one of my oldest friends at this point. Um, and he told me he wanted to write a book about um, reading poetry, basically. And this guy knows a lot. He's got, a, there's a lot of information that had that uh, the, the world would be better off if he was able to get it onto paper um, and just articulate it. I would love to read that book and I need to encourage him, um, to write that in whatever way I can, because I feel like I would benefit a lot from this particular guy's point of view. But the question I asked him when we, and we couldn't, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but we, but we had to end the conversation. Um, and, uh, I was like, well, where does it, where would you, would you, feel the need to end that book at a particular place. And he's like, yes. 
maybe and he's like maybe in the i think he said the 1960s i was like oh shit it's a long time ago but also in the grand scheme not at all because something changed with what it meant to write a poem around then and i pitched him my idea uh, about what i think it is but i don't i couldn't i don't think it quite i don't think he quite agreed and we didn't fully have time to just get into it all um, unfortunately but to me what happened was the uh, essentially recorded music took the need took away the need for poems before when you're when you're walking down the street i'm talking about like so let's pretend it's 1900 you're walking down the street uh or you're at home doing your dishes uh, whatever it is you're in some place of uh you know doing a mundane task and what we do now is we turn on our cell phone and click on the thing and you listen to a podcast you listen to music and then you have entertainment and then suddenly it's like oh great like i never knew i could have so much fun doing laundry but back then it's like what you didn't think we had people had the impulse to entertain themselves so they had songs memorized and maybe they would sing them or maybe they would remember the poems that they had um memorized and so they you know to enter that's that's what they were they would do they didn't have recorded music that was the function of these things that's why there was a rhyme scheme and that's and those traditional forms needed they served a purpose so we could remember them and so they had the entertainment of musicality that became more and more obsolete the more we had records and tapes and iPods and cell phones. And now we have no real use for for memorizing poems It's because you just put it in your headphones. It's amazing. Uh, it's so much fun. Rhyme scheme, the rhyme scheme in poems, and I'm like... You know, I, I feel like this is information. This is like, I'm, it's so dusty in my head, all of like the studying I used to do on this kind of stuff. But we began to stop giving a shit about rhyme scheme in, in poems, um, 60s, 70s, etc. Someone, you know, correct me on that. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You understand what I'm saying. Rhyme scheme used to be really important in poems. Then it suddenly wasn't. And then the things I write, there's zero rhyme. I'm like, I hate it. I fucking hate rhyming shit. Um, I don't necessarily hate reading it. I don't hate reading it. But I but writing in rhyme is really annoying to me. But that's, that's what musicians, they need to write in rhyme for the most part in order for it to work. But for me, a, a lot of the freedom and the fun of writing poems is that like, there's you get to break all the rules. It's just super fucked up. But how, what are you supposed to do with it in today's, um, with the internet, with the way that we consume information and publish information? Because publishing a book of poems is kind of fucking dumb at this point. It just, there's no market. It doesn't make sense. Publishing them online you know, there's also no market, but there's also no overhead cost. 
as to putting them out, right? Um, and every time, you know, people spend so long writing a tweet, it's like, you know, and I, I really, the friend I'm, I'm talking about, though, when we spoke two times ago, I was pushing him on this idea of like, tell me how a poem is different than a tweet as kind of a challenge. And he was getting so angry. It was amazing. So enraged by, I guess, the thought of uh, <laughs> the two. Um, and, um, and they're so different, but they're actually sort of the same. And my, in my, from my perspective, people's need by and large to write poems is kind of, uh taken over by twitter um as a in as a whole like short form weird thoughts um you know with some kind of structure and the structure is that it needs to be short with those things it's it's kind of hilarious i don't have twitter um i i tried it and it was like Honestly, I just, it didn't click. I was just like, what is, I don't, there's nothing here. It's not entertaining. Um, so the point being though, wow, I really might not make it under this hour mark. It's already 38 minutes. Uh, that's okay. Just enjoy yourself, my friend. Um, it's Sunday. No one needs anything from you. The cat's sleeping. You can sit and read your fucking poems and, uh, you know, enjoy your life. Don't be in a hurry. Fuck the audience, man. Um, right. Okay. Um, I lost the thought again. Oh! Really, this is all it is. This is really all it is. Um, I know how crazy it is to write a poem every day. To even call these things poems is like, what the fuck, man? Like that? Does it even deserve? Do they? Do these even deserve to be called poems? That's that's problem number one. And I actually don't know. Uh, and do I need them to be called poems? No, but I don't really know what the fuck else to call them. I was saying posts for a long time, but that just felt kind of like, you know, shut up, posts. What is that? Posts. It's not, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. So I'm trying to like be like, look, I'm writing these ridiculous poems because that's just what I got to do. It makes me happy. It's a fun game to play. Succession. When it's, oh, what I'm excited about is when it's over to watch the whole thing again that's why that's how you know it's good so you know something is is awesome but with these posts they're just not intended for that and that's okay perhaps that's why i'm i'm so i that's why i feel like calling them poems is kind of dumb because they're so they're so unsacred and poems generally are very sacred. Um, we see it that way, but then when you really start reading the old stuff and you're like, this is just kind of fucking people spouting nonsense, really. So fuck it all. It's all chaos. It doesn't matter. 
uh, write as much as you can, um, have the most fun, and eventually you'll be dead, and um, no one's going to give a shit except for your, you about all of the fucking poems you wrote. So, you know, you don't want to look back and say, damn, I, I wish I wrote more fucking poems when I was when I wasn't on my deathbed here. And I got to say, I don't think I'll have that issue. I think I'll just be sad that I don't get to do it again. I'm a glob of toothpaste experiencing moderate joy. The anteater became a glob of toothpaste. The anteater melted in the sun. His credit card went off into the gutter. He was at the bookstore looking at new journals, and he felt like a little bitch for doing that. He remembered typing shit into DOS when he was a kid, and now his credit card went towards the gutter, and now he was a glob of toothpaste melted in the sun. I never identified with an anteater before until this morning. This morning, I was thinking of some song lyrics. I have been hearing in the background for my entire life. I don't care who you are, what you did, where you're from, as long as you love me. It was bullshit when it came out, and it's bullshit now. So fuck off with that shit. And now, after a day of being melted, I have returned, and all I will say is this. I am a glob of toothpaste, experiencing moderate joy. That was fun. Um, for those who are on my mailing list, you got... Um, Issue four of my collected poems ebook. And the title of it was Experiencing Moderate Joy, where I put all of the February poems into that book for you to reread <laughs> as many times as you want in one collected volume. And I, I hope. Um, that you liked the cover of the book, at least. Um, and it felt like a real product. So despite, I guess that's the um, kind of the fun, too, is like posting all these things, doing the podcast about them, then putting out that as an ebook, And then I think one thing that would be cool is once there's like 10 ebooks or something to then collect those all. Um, and I'm like, and then put them out as like a, another, like a volume. I'm like, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. That makes me happy to think about. Um, what is this poem about? I'm a glove toothpaste experiencing moderate joy. The anteater became a glove toothpaste. The anteater melted in the sun. His credit card went off into the gutter. He was at the bookstore looking at journals and he felt like a little bitch for doing that. Yeah, that was uh, trying to like get across this point of like when you write poems and you write and you spend all your time writing and basically like like journaling all the time, 
and like filming myself being weird and all of this stuff. And it's just like, I, for some point, most every day, not, you know, it's not so not like ruining my life or anything, but there's, you got to deal with like the shame of that, of like feeling like a little bitch for, um, being involved in such, uh, a soft thing, I suppose. It's like extremely, uh, um, you're not out in the woods hunting. <laughs> you're not at the football game. Um, you're not like working with your hands and being tough. You're writing poems, you little bitch. Um, and I think I, I uh, what I'm trying to Sometimes that is like overwhelming and like I get, you know, I can really beat myself up over it. Um, but I think what I'm starting to realize is that's just kind of part of the territory. You kind of got to deal with that negativity, that self-depreciating, self-sacrificing negativity. It's just, it's going to be there. It's not going to go away. Um, that's always been there and it, and it always will. Um... But I think the, it also, uh, you know, there's a lot of, it's also really hard to, it's very scary to do that when you're doing it right, because you're exposing so much of yourself and, you know, that's not lost on me. And I understand that more and more as I continue to put myself on fucking the internet doing weird shit and whatever. So this poem is really just about that. I don't know what the Backstreet Boys part of it is. I think I literally just had that Backstreet Boys song stuck in my head. I don't care who you are, what you did, where you're from, as long as you love me. Uh, unless that was in sync. I know it was one or the other. But uh, that's that's like a really... F imagine actually like being in that relationship where you're like, I don't care who you are, what you did, where you're from, as long as you love me. Like, that's just fucking toxic and wrong. Like, what are you talking about? Maybe I'm missing the point, but, like, isn't everything we know about, like, romance, like, that that's, like, like, you're just, like, obsessed and needy and, like, pretty much a piece of shit? If that's how you look at relationships, like, really, there is no, <laughs> nothing redeeming about feeling that way it's like you're a are you a fucking child you can't you can't do that uh you have to care who they are what they do and where they're from like that's all part of it you can't pretend that that doesn't matter because they like you are you crazy um i mean the song was probably written by fucking 16 year olds and performed by them and i get it but like we can't keep going on thinking that that that's okay uh, and normal. I, so so I'm outraged. That's all I can say. Um, I'm outraged by them. I'm ashamed of being myself. And uh, it's all good because I wrote a poem about it. And I'm kind of happy having, um, you know, articulated that. I suppose that's... That's what this is about. Um, 
it's a, it's a great poem and the, and i like thinking about i don't know if this um who this will resonate with but in our like the our first computer we ever had i was born in 1987 i think this computer was probably from the early 90s um and it had dos you know neon green letters and i think or maybe they were gray at one point maybe i don't know it was green it wasn't dos green it doesn't matter it was the you just like show up in dos and you were like okay let's talk to the computer this is like i don't know i really having like i haven't even gone on chat gbt or anything but like dos was what that was it was like let's talk to the computer and see what what we can make it do and how it can communicate with us and uh you could go like okay c drive uh, what's on the c drive and that was like the main um i'm kind of it's becoming very blurry very fast but that was like the hard drive like okay it's c drive now run this program and then you go a drive and that was like the floppy disk and it was like d drive right d was the cd-rom big cd-rom run open up the cd-rom and you type in the command and hit enter and then the text would come up and it would like you know that was the interface it was just like text and you're talking to this computer uh, and it felt like the computer was like crazy smart and it was too smart to even fucking you know deal with your human bullshit whereas now they've like made it so that you can basically that things you know can do a lot but when i was a kid and going in dawson just remember like this feeling of like you could write who knows what it would react to you'd write things into the computer and you could write english into it you can you had to like know its language but sometimes it would you could try to confuse it or try to communicate with it and just like I don't know that was such like kind of a cool space writing in dos and that sense of wonder and you're i was also like probably seven or something it's <laughs> like trying to type in this computer and i feel like that impulse of like writing into the computer um that just became my whole life and i still do it every day and write these fucking poems um but typing shit into dos how cool is that Um, okay, for now, that is as much as I know. Let's check it out. Lately, I've wanted to write better poems, but thinking about writing poems leads to writing worse poems. All you can do is sit down and write. I have not edited a poem I have written in years. I just write them and then move on to the next one. I edit a lot of other shit, but not these. That's what makes them what they are. The whole point, maybe, is that I have to accept them even when they are pieces of shit. And in turn, I have to accept myself as well. In a way, it is easier to delete and rewrite and start again in a way. It is excruciating to delete and rewrite and start again. I'll always debate which path is the one worth taking? 
to repeatedly bang my head against the wall, getting it right, or squishing the spaghetti in my hand and looking deep into the tomato sauce. But at the end of the day, the answer is simple. You must repeatedly bang your head against the wall while squishing the spaghetti in your hand and looking deep into the tomato sauce. For now, that is as much as I know. Fuck yeah. Um, I mean, this post that I was able to um, read in probably 10, 20 seconds makes all of the fucking rambling bullshit that I talked about in the beginning is like obsolete because this is just better. And uh, this is, to me, this is really the answer. Uh, this is all I've been really saying this whole episode and, and it's great. Honestly, I, I'm, I feel really good about this one. And it's true, I, I don't edit poems. I edit other shit like crazy. Blue Nile um, edited like nuts and it's and it's done very well. So I can see how that editing is done very well. It's gotten over 100 views on YouTube. To me, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but um, 100 views from strangers, right? Like that to me is like, like you're talking to someone who's been like literally writing into a vacuum for like, over a decade trying to like get things published and you know just it's like that whole industry the publishing industry becoming obsolete and i'm just like i don't know what to do i you want to write you know where to go so for to make something to like have a little story in a package and then put it on youtube and then a hundred people randomly find it and watch it it's like that feels like a lot I know in YouTube numbers, that's like so laughable. I 100% get that. But I'm like, that's amazing. I'm happy. Um, but this poem is really good. I don't even want to really say much more about it because I think it really speaks for itself. And if... And... Uh, It poses, you know, I don't know, like when I sit down and write it, I just kind of do it without thinking and when it's good. And then it just says the truth. And then there's everything else that I create between all myself and that is, um, that's the work is just getting that, getting rid of that clutter, I think. And I, and, and, when you read these acting books, I haven't read that many acting books, but it seems like a common thread between them. And what I understand all this acting shit to be uh, is how to, um, what is the, the best method to being in that space in a focused way? Um, a lot of different ways of going about that, but that's really... It's really like getting out of your own way, being in the present, um, and um, not being consumed by the fear of, of it. As soon as you get scared, uh, then you abandon the moment, right? All that shit. Um, 
so the, that's where the, that's where you get to the truth of things and this is the kind of poem I just kind of wrote that way and uh, and it's good I'm happy with it improv versus editing so what I want is to have to make work that's very edited and very re-readable and and you know perfect perfect it's a dumb thing to say but like that i think is like deliberate and then things that are improvisational but true i want to write I'm, both of those i need to do both of those things whichever one is better you know all of this kind of shit uh, i have to stop caring i have to what i've, what I've learned this week is that I want to do both of those things. And if I only do one and not the other, then I'm not satisfied. Um, that, that to me is a big, that's very meaningful. All right, let's read this one. This one's intense. It's called Louisa's Story. When I was a kid, my mom used to tell me about her dad. He died the same year I was born. She tried to explain that his spirit lived on through us, and I understood what she meant. I have seldom seen her be as sincere as that. A few years ago, I wrote a script about my mom and how I imagined her childhood to be. The script is focused around the sentiment I remembered her explaining all those years ago. For some reason or another, I thought of animating the, that script today. And I realized, soon, I will have a daughter and be her dad. And one day, one way or another, she will lose me. It never occurred to me that I would be in the same position that my grandfather was. That she will be in the, and that she will be in the position that my mother was. I would like to pass down the sentiment that my mother passed on to me. I've decided that I will try to make that animation to give to her one day so that regardless of what happens, she will have that. Let me just let the cat out here. Um, so pretty self-explanatory, but in the context of everything that I'm talking about today it's like I have a deliberate thing when I was a kid my mom kind of explained to me when I was really young my mom explained to me like it's like that her her dad died but she had this way of explaining that she's still kind of like you know still kind of like that she's still uh his memory lived on with her right this is like um it's not about spirituality or god or heaven or hell or anything of that sort even though those in my opinion are just other ways of articulating this um and in all ways applicable um but to her i think she explained i don't remember what she said because i was so young and i remember the feeling of it but it was along the lines of like um, he was, he's, she still, she felt he was still with her, right? Um, even though he passed on and 
she said, and it was with us. That was kind of the thing is that he was still with her, but also with me as her kid. And I really, I must've met him. I don't know how many times, but I was a baby. He died when I was one years old, I think. Um, so I never got to know him. Um, but you have a sense of what, you know, of, I guess, who he was. And I don't know, it's, it's beyond, uh, it's, it's a heavy topic, obviously, but I understood what she was saying. She passed that sentiment on to me. And I always remembered that I still do to this day. Um, I've spent a lot, probably the, the most drafts, that's not true, actually, but probably the most one the most sentimental piece of writing I've potentially probably ever done uh, was this script called Louisa's Story. Uh, I spent a long time on it, and it really like was such a. Uh, I feel like I ch- I was a changed person having written it. Um, a lot of just, you know, a lot of emotion in that thing, a lot of sentimentality. Uh, perhaps to its detriment. I think I spent a while after being like, wow, that's, you shouldn't write so sentimentally. It's just too emotional. Um, you're a fucking way too much of a pussy. Um, write something where someone's head gets chopped off and you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, don't be a little bitch, basically. Um, so, you know, whatever. And now just kind of is something in the past. But this week... Um, it occurred to me at a certain point that so that script was about a young girl and her dad and her losing her dad. Um, and you know, it was me basically taking that sentiment that my mom explained to me as a kid and putting it into a story, figuring out some kind of way of articulating it that way, giving it a home. Um, great. And I didn't know where me personally, like I didn't like have, it wasn't about me is how I felt. It was very meaningful to me, but I was running from the point of view of this young girl. And I was like, you know, um, I was like a 32 year old man. Like, it's just like, what? And so the, the big thing that changed in my mind uh, or the big realization I had this week was like, whoa, like, now that I'm having a kid, like I'm in that position of the dad character. I was like, and that just like hit me so hard. Like I literally like was sitting in my chair and it occurred to me and like, uh, I was like overcome with emotion to the point of tears that I quickly wiped away and pretended that they never fucking came. And I'm <laughs> I probably would have been pissed. I'd be like, you shouldn't say this on your podcast on Sunday. But whatever, I did. Um, and I didn't tell anyone that. Um, and I really, the truth is I, I wanted my wife to know that I had this idea, but I felt too overwhelmed by emotion to talk about it. So I was like, oh, I'll write it in a post and then she'll read it and then she'll know that that's the... <laughs> Then that's something that I want to do. And I want to hold myself to it. Like, if you write this into a post, you're going to have to fucking try to make this animation. Um, so that was a good, it was just a good, good moment, good thing. So I'm working on one animation right now, The Idiot Tree, which is essentially about 
a guy who gets a girl pregnant and needs to figure out how he's going to basically afford the baby and to, to make enough money to um, raise this, this kid. And then after that's done, then I'm going to take that old script and turn it into a animation as well um, to pass down that sentiment because who knows, like when I talk about improv in scripts or in, improv in, in poems, for instance, it's like, you don't know what you're going to write. You just have to trust it will come out. It's like, that's one way of working. And, and the other way of working, not, or that's the big note of the week. And there's other ideas where you deliberately know what they are and you need to render them. Right. So it's like certain things where you're going and discovering them and other things where you've already discovered and you need to deliberately render it. Um, different ways of working. Usually it's a mix of both. It's never so cut and dry, but in this case, I know what I'm trying to say. And I feel like I need to put that sentiment into something that more than just a script, the reason why scripts fucking suck is that they're blueprints and instruction manuals and you read them and they're not finished products. That drives me nuts because it's like, here's this instruction manual. Now, uh, you know, a thousand people need to get involved to make this a reality. And it's just a thousand people in, you know, what, $5 million or something to make this into a movie. And that whole, uh, fuck all that shit. It's like, if you can do it, great. But like, every time I write a story, I can't be fucking sitting around um, wishing I had millions of dollars and a bunch of people to make it into something that's like completed. It's like, that's unacceptable to me. Um, it seems that some people are screenwriters are, are able to stomach that, I guess, but I just don't, I don't get it. It's like, so that's why I kind of put screenplay writing aside and was like, just write the prose and adapt it to a screenplay if need be one day. But like, you got to finish stuff and, and, you know, can't just always be in this purgatory of like waiting for money and all this fucking shit. That's why these animations are so great because they, they don't cost money to make. They cost time to make. You can get the point across. People can see them visually. Um, you know, and you can get those, I can get the feeling across very specifically in a short amount of time. So very excited about these animations, as you know. And check out the Blue Nile cartoon on YouTube if you haven't already, because it's awesome. All right, last one. And yes, I know I failed. I'm at the hour and seven minute mark. So it goes. Why don't we read the last poem and another poem that involves farting and weird animals. Great work. Okay, it's called Or Something. Farting on an iguana's head with a flashlight in the distance. The flashlight looks like a streetlight, but it is just the distance or something. I'm trying to draw a picture of a gas station, but it is difficult to get it right. I don't know why I wrote about farting on an iguana's head but I think I will stick with it. What would be the point of deleting it now? 
I cannot be ashamed of writing about farting on an iguana's head. If if I'm ashamed of that, then writing about the shame of it instead will be more intellectual or something like the flashlight and the streetlight. They are the same in the distance or something. (laughs) Good. I think um, I'm just trying to eat my words here and talk about the insecurity of writing dumb shit and taking it really seriously. Um, I feel like that was a really good episode. Um, and, um, I don't think I have anything else to really tell you. So give me a week and I'll do this again and I'll have another hour of things that I'm really excited to say into a microphone (laughs) and I'll also record me saying it and put that on YouTube so that you have a a visual reference as to who the fuck I am. The big takeaway from today's episode, in my opinion, is that It's not about making something great. Making it's about making something great and making something really shitty. It's about both of those things and accepting that it's not either or it's a bit of both. So draw a really shitty cartoon and then paint a really uh, specific, you know, masterpiece painting or, you know, write a really shitty poem in 10 seconds and then write a perfect novel. And the combination of those two things, I think will, that's, that's what I want to do. And that's what I have been doing. So that's my conclusion. And the point is that I try to do a conclusion because usually I would have cut by now, but I'm trying to give you a beginning, middle and end to these podcasts. I'm trying to structure it better. And uh, what I should have done is wrote down, done the, this one I'm gonna do next week. Do the intro, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. Less is more. Then I got to write down, okay, this is what I think the thesis is. This is what I think. This is how I see things. And then read through the posts. And you know that thing happens where I start repeating the intro and the post and I, all that whole crazy entanglement of uh, that, that kind of magic process where, I'm real, where my subconscious, where my conscious is catching up to my subconscious, right? And then look back at that thesis and the that I'll do that in the conclusion because I didn't write it down. So I don't remember what it is and then decide if I agree, disagree, or maybe learn something new from, from doing the podcast here.
there's your beginning is an idea it's challenged in the second act in the middle and then reconciled in the third act the ending the outro and without further ado i will leave you there okay let me say one more thing um i was thought it was i should what i should do is um you know in therapy when they have like a very specific time limit of like 50 minutes and you can't go over. Um, I was like, I should do that with the podcast and be like, you know, do a countdown um, and make it like therapy because like, come on, like this is fucking going into, this is just crazy. It's an hour and 13 minutes, but it's okay. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.